Hey there, this is Jamie Lewis, host of the food and drink podcast, Consumed. Well, it's been a year since I started recording quarterly live episodes, and I have loved meeting listeners in person. If you've attended any of these, thank you so much for spending an evening with me and my guests. While I'm taking a break from live events for the summer, I thought I'd re-release the first consumed live episode featuring three powerhouse brewers on California's Central Coast. I spoke with Matt Brynaldson, brewmaster at Firestone Walker Brewing Company in Paso Robles, Buellton, and Venice Beach, Max Montgomery, brewmaster at There Does Not Exist in San Luis Obispo, and Jack Dyer, founder at Topa Topa Brewing Company in Ventura. These three brought lots of fun stories, insight, and humor to the table, and I'm so glad I recorded it. The event took place at There Does Not Exist on August 31st, 2022, and was accompanied by Tasty Eats from Bear City Social. Special thanks to Matt Cross, who handled sound and had a very boomy, echoey room to work with. You'll hear feedback occasionally, and you'll hear the crowd get looser and chattier as the tape rolls on but not to worry. This is still a very interesting and worth listening to discussion. Enjoy my conversation with Matt Brynaldson, Max Montgomery, and Jack Dyer. So this is a live taping of the Consumed podcast. So to prove that it's not just the four of us up here, can I hear some noise from the audience? I love it. That makes me that makes me so so happy. So I feel really lucky because I get to look right here at three of my favorite brewers of all time. Um, So I'm gonna ask, maybe instead of me introducing, I'll ask each of you to introduce yourselves. And maybe as you do so, could you tell me the first time you ever had beer and what it was? Are any of your parents here? My dad is here. Your dad's here? Yeah. Okay, well you can, if you're comfortable saying, go ahead, okay. And talk nice and close to the mic. Matt Reynoldson. I get to start? You do. Hi, everyone. I'm Matt from Firestone Walker. Thanks for coming. Yes! (laughs) Okay, so what was the question? What's the first time you had beer? The first time I had beer. So I grew up in Minnesota, and my grandfather was a beer drinker, uh, and my uncles were beer drinkers. The brand was probably Pfeiffer. Hmm. which was a Midwest, local Minnesota grow, uh, brewed beer, maybe came out of Wisconsin. You could buy it in returnable bottles. Nice. I remember that distinctly because you, in, in college years, we would build furniture out of those returnable boxes because <laughs> they were really sturdy. Um, and I don't know if I liked it that much. Yeah. Uh, it was bitter. But, but how old were you? Uh, quite young. I mean, this is probably <laughs> Mateo's age or younger. Yeah. I was allowed to taste. It wasn't drinking the beer. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right, Max. I'm uh, Max Montgomery, the uh, owner here at There Does Not Exist. Yay! And uh, what was it? What was the rest of that question? Where were we from? I don't even know. First, What's the first, first time you had oh, beer? What first was time it? I had and beer. Uh, shoot, my dad is sitting over there. Uh, earmuffs. Oh, is that your dad? Yeah. Hey. That's my dad, everybody. Nice to meet um, you. It was. Sometime in high school, I went to San Luis High, and it was sometime in high school, and I think, you know, probably maybe junior year of high school at some kind of a party or something like that, and... Uh, you were a, la- a late bloomer. 
Yeah, 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 no, a little bit. I feel bit, like yeah. junior high or junior year is when it all falls apart in terms of high school and. Yeah, I used to be like really into like heavy metal and punk rock music, and at that stage there was this big like a uh, kind of like a straight edge movement. Yeah. So I kind of aligned myself with that foolishly for a little while until I got my senses straight, I guess. And. Um, <laughs> You know, I'm sure we started with the cheap stuff, but honestly, and this sounds funny, with uh, especially sitting here now, that I distinctly remember when we got any kind of money from doing whatever we were doing back in the day, we bought DBA. Yes! <laughs> and that, like, I think I told David Walker that story one time, and he goes, that's a great story, mate, but never tell anyone that. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, yeah, right. What an awesome, that's an awesome tribute, actually. All right, Jack. Uh, yeah, my name is Jack Dyer. I'm uh, founder and CEO of Topa Topa Brewing Company. Yes. We're based down in Ventura. Um, first beer I ever had was Genesee Cream Ale. Um, I think it comes out of New York. And uh, yeah, I, my dad was pretty open to letting me sip at a very young age. Um, and so that was probably really young, probably watching a football game at mm -hmm. home. And then uh, we used to for some out of the fridge every now and again when we could uh, when I was when I was getting a little bit older but that was the first beer I ever had Genesee cream ale nice okay so I'm reminded that two of you so one of you max you're intensely local but two of you are from out of state which is interesting because these beers that you produce are so oriented with California so Topa Topa um, and Firestone Walker I mean the whole concept is extremely West Coast Californian and neither of you are West Coast Californian how do you I don't really know what this question is but maybe how do you align yourself with California how do you ever feel like an imposter or do you feel like I'm not suggesting that you are I look, I look that Midwest. No, 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 no. <laughs> but sometimes your O's I have to say Matt so maybe say your most Midwesterner word what is it say home home <laughs> <laughs> okay so um how do i align myself i mean here's here's the story the way it goes is i started brewing in chicago illinois i in, in the midwest and i had this idea that the west coast was the big leagues of brewing mm. you know sierra nevada um, Anchor Brewing and uh, at that time Mendocino Brewing Company and those were beers that would trickle in and when we tasted them we were like that's California hmm. and the little bit of time I'd spent so I just had my my sights set on hitting the west coast at some point to brew with the greats hmm. um, and then once we got here I think every brewer does this you start you know melding with your community and figuring out what the locals like to drink and you're always riffing off of that at least we were early on at firestone so yeah jack i mean new jersey am i remembering that right yeah new jersey yeah, yeah. so when i mean when did you how did you wind up in california how'd you wind up making such a california iconic beer i think for for me personally like well it should be stated like I'm I'm not our our brewmaster yeah. at Topa Topa so I I I know how to make beer mm -hmm. but I'm not nearly as technically inclined as as these two gentlemen but um I think for for me it it I identified with California at a very young age I grew up on a little island off the coast of New Jersey I was always surfing boating fishing doing things that people don't think you do in New Jersey yeah. and so um the, making the jump, I got. I moved to California in my previous career before I started Topa, um, pretty much straight away out of college, and 
I've now lived in California longer than I lived in New Jersey, so right. I kind of feel um, a little bit more Californian, but um, I think I just always identified with uh, the lifestyle out here. Um, I'm a pretty outdoorsy person. I like mm -hmm. to get outside and, and, and do all the things that our region uh, affords us the opportunity to do. So um, our beers at Topa are kind of specifically designed around experiences that we uh, have in our in our region, whether it's you know enjoying a nice sunset at the beach or mm -hmm. a day on a boat, uh, fishing, fly fishing, um, or a nice hike. So we kind of like try to build our brand around the experiences that we have uh, here on the Central Coast, and and so that's that was that's fairly intentional from from our our part, but. Uh, yeah, there's definitely times where I feel a like a little bit of an imposter. No, and <laughs> I feel a, bad that I asked. But that. it's a, you know, <laughs> we're we're all really lucky to live where we live. So yeah. the, I think we we try and take it a step further. And I know when I when I started Topa, I tried to um, really ingratiate ourselves in the community and do things. We do that through our one percent for the planet um, affiliation, where we we give back to local environmental nonprofits to protect the trails and the oceans and rivers that we like to utilize. So. Um, yeah, so that's that's kind of our way of, of, of showing who we are. Yeah, I love it. And I did not mean to imply that you, you guys, the two of you specifically, I would never have known that you weren't from California, let's just say. <laughs> I, I don't mean to imply that you somehow stood out. Um, I just know that from talking oh, to you. Oh, you betcha. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of course. Of yeah, I was going to say, give, give me a few more beers and I'll st you'll get my Jersey accent. I want to hear your again. Jersey yeah. accent. I want to hear it so bad. We'll get bad. another round of here. <laughs> So, um, Jack, you touched on what you did. You didn't say what you did before you were um, working with a brewery, but maybe each of you could talk a little bit about who were you before you were brewing, if there was any anything. Was there anything for you, Matt? Back to me. <laughs> Back to you. Um, actually, being a brewer uh, or, or beer-related jobs are the only thing I've done since I graduated from college, but I... I did a number of other odd jobs uh, growing up. I, I grew up in a restaurant family, so my, my dad had me in the dish pit at age 12. Uh, so I did everything in a restaurant, about uh, a stern. And I think that was really solid training for being a brewer, because, I mean, most people in this room probably already know this, but more than 50% of the art of brewing is cleaning. You know, it's, it's, it's making messes and cleaning them up, and it always takes longer to clean up than it is to actually make the beer. Yeah. Um, so I think that was really, you know, good baseline training. Um, yeah, I've done a lot of other odd jobs. But actually, my first um, brewing-related job was a chemist. So I studied chemistry, and I was a hop chemist. There's very few of these labs uh, around the globe, but my first job was literally on my business card said hop chemist. That's nuts. And what, you were like 23 years old or something? Well, actually, I think I, I, I started my internship before I was 21, and wow. as soon as I got out of college, that was my full-time job. And so we did hop extraction, yeah. which is more prevalent these days, especially in the, the marijuana trade. There's a lot of extract and, and essence and, and terpenes and all of that. We were doing that type of chemistry for the brewing industry. Insane. So you were really meant to be a brewer, and I didn't realize your grandfather was a brewer as well. No, no, no. My grandfather wasn't a brewer. He just loved beer. Oh, pardon me. <laughs> Big difference. Yeah. All right, Max. What did you do before you were in brewing? Uh, I did a lot of stuff. I'm I'm kind of a uh, the people that know me will laugh about this, but I'm sort of this like consummate tinkerer. Like I I get really into stuff, and then I move on to the next thing. 
and I sort of, career-wise, I followed that path. I mean, I did uh, a little bit of construction here and there. I did some land surveying. And I think, I guess, prior to brewing, what I really settled in on was I did uh, video and motion graphics for websites, so sort of like an art-based really? uh, career. And uh, I was working next door at the tennis warehouse. That was sort of, well, I, I did a lot of stuff in that career, but uh, right before brewing, I was working there doing a lot of the content for their web websites. And then I started homebrewing while I was working there. And I think something about brewing to me, I guess it was the combination of everything that I had done prior. Mm -hmm. And it was like, it was the manual labor that I sort of uh, sickly enjoy. Like, you know, that, that, that like hard day's work that culminates with a beer at the end of the day. Yeah and then the art and the science behind it. So I kind of started homebrewing and I was like, man, this is like everything I've ever done all put into one thing. Yeah. And it just, I became hyper obsessive with it. And mm. like, it became pretty apparent very fast that that's what I wanted to do. And there was nothing that was gonna stop me from changing careers and doing it. Yeah, I yeah. didn't realize you did graphics and, but it's funny you talking about that because you look around here, everything is so dialed in, <laughs> in terms of the way things look for sure. Um, I'm anal. You're not just anal, though. You're also kind of metal. You're anal and metal. Yeah, I mean, no, no, that totally, like, I, 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 we may touch on this later, but when I, you know, when I, when I got into brewing, and even before, I mean, I, knew, I had no idea what I was doing, but I, I had this very distinct vision for, you know, it was one of those things where you're sitting in your backyard on a Saturday, like, if I had a brewery, I knew exactly what it would be like mm -hmm. if I did. And it would seem like such a hoop dream at that time. You know, it's like, it's a mirage. Um, mm -hmm. But then when it came time to finally do it, it was like, oh yeah, I know exactly what I'm gonna do. So it was an e easy path to follow at that point. Yeah. Uh, and it was, again, kind of all, I knew what the art direction would be. I kind of knew that it was gonna be a lot of work going into it, but I was okay with that. And I knew that uh, the beers that I wanted to create because I'd had a little bit of experience home brewing and just took me a little bit to kind of get the, the skills to pay the bills, so to speak, and make it happen. Yeah. Because you're talking, and because I'm just touching upon this, um, as far as your label artwork goes, because it's so original, it's so different from anything else, and I'm not a brewer, but I'm a drinker, and I also am a consumer, so when I go into a shop and I see, you know, the label does, it very much does matter. How did you come up with, like, who's the artist? What was the inspiration for all of that? It's so metaphysical and um, mysterious. Right. You know? Yeah, totally. So it, it all started with uh, a friend of mine that I grew up with. Um, he does branding for big companies, you know, Red Bull, the Nikes of the world, and that kind of thing. So I had this idea, but I didn't know how to put it on paper, so to speak. So I, I just pinged him, and, and it basically started with, like, a silly conversation of, like, hey, I want to start a beer brand, and I wanted to ask more questions than it answers. How do I do that? Your graphic designer's like, I need you to pay me twice as much yeah. as what you're already paying me. Yeah, and I, I think his reply was like, let me mill on it. Mm -hmm. And then like two days later, he called me and he's like, I got this concept, it's really out there, but I think you're gonna like it. Mm. And, and you know, the there does not exist thing, some people know this, some people might not, it's a mathematical, it's ba the, the theory is based in mathematics and anyone that knows me knows I'm not a huge math guy. <laughs> So that's, that's always been a little bit of a tough pill to swallow. Mm. Um, so it kind of took it, the repetition of like, oh, this is sort of esoteric, bizarre name. 
that I really liked, but until we kind of put the whole thing together and we paired it with the artist and we, we had some names for some beers that were existential and out there and, and then it sort of all just like sort of came together. I mean, for me, it, a week before opening, it was like, what the hell are we doing? This is mm. the stupidest thing I've ever done in mm -hmm. my life. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden we got the, the art direction and we got some shirts printed and we named some of the beers and it, it all sort of came to fruition right in front of my yeah. eyes, literally minutes before the doors open. Yeah. Um, which is sort of contrary to what I said before, but I had this strong vision, but it was hard to get it on paper. Yeah, guess, but it all know? feels of a piece now, you know? It feels like it all belongs together. Sure, and the, the artist that does all of our artwork, he's amazing, he's based in Indonesia, and oh, wow. it, it was, that was one of the most difficult things for building the brand was esoteric name. We had a lot of concept. We had the, the design for the tasting room pretty well figured out. And we, we just didn't have an artist. And I had a funny conversation with a friend of mine who's, he's worked long and hard to become a career artist. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember calling him and I said, hey man, we're doing this cool beer brand, like love to get you involved. I love your artwork. And, and you know, spoke to him about, we, we have this concept, we're going to do uh, you know, what started in the beginning, oh, we want to do a bunch of one-off beers, no flagships, mm -hmm. just everything's new all the time and just basically blast everything out there. Any, any thought, get it on the paper, get it into liquid, get it into a glass and throw it out there. And uh, he goes, oh man, I love that concept. Yeah, I can do the artwork. It'd be like 10,000 bucks a piece. <laughs> yes. And I'm like, yeah, dude, that's not gonna work. Sorry, man. Uh, thanks, you know, and, and then, so I'm kind of going ah, back to the drawing board. What the hell are we gonna do? And I'd been following our artist on Instagram for years before the brewery oh, started. Oh, really? Yeah. And I remember one night just going, you know, I'm just going to reach out to this guy. Like, the, yep. the worst he can say is no. Yep. And I already don't have anybody now, so it's like not going to set me back. Mm -mm. And uh, he just replied and was like, oh, I love the concept. I love the idea. I love the name. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. So it Moral just, of the story, honestly, is reach out, DM somebody. I mean, honestly, ask for, go on Etsy, find the artist you like, ask them. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this personally, but like Instagram is sort of like, it's, it's the bane of my existence at times, and it's also like maybe the best thing that ever happened to us. Right, you know? right, same. I think we could all probably say same. <laughs> all right, Jack, what were you before you were a brewer? And you're like suffering in the sun right now. It's all I'm good, so, it's all good, and your beer, it's all good. I watched Matt move, like very meticulously move his know, beer into right. the shade. Yeah, anyway. My so, beer is not skunked. <laughs> we'll get you another one. Yes. Um, so, well, I was still me before I was a Oh, a brewer, okay. But um, uh, I, my career path took me, I was a third grade teacher, was my first job. Um, I like to say that the kids drove me to drink. Um, but, <laughs> so I did that for a minute, and then I enjoyed a little bit of a career in the wonderful world of student loan finance and marketing. But I was doing really? some, I did actually a really cool product that I got kind of drafted into. Um, I was, uh, my summers off, I would lifeguard at the Jersey Shore and wait tables at night. And um, turns out the CEO of Sally May, which a lot of people might owe some money to, yes. uh, was it, one of me. my beach yes. patrons. Yeah. And he saw me working all day and all night. And, and he used to come into the restaurant all the time. And he was just like, you should send me your resume. And I was at that point, I was looking at new teaching jobs all over. I was looking in Hawaii and, mm. and places. And he just, he put me in this position at a, at a, it was kind of a startup within the company. It was 
I'm dating myself here, but it was an electronic billing platform is um, <laughs> what we were selling yes. before electronic bills existed. And uh, so I got put in charge of that group. And so I got a little taste of like the startup vibe, but we had all the money we could ever need. So it was totally different than a real startup. But um, so I did that for uh, many years and had some success there and that was my previous career and then kind of just topped out and I knew I wanted to do something uh, on my own and we uh, I'd fallen in love with beer when I lived lived in North County San Diego and yes. enjoyed like the early days of San Diego beer scene and yes. um, started a thing called a brew op where we took the co-op concept and we applied it to beer so we got about 20 um, men and women we bought a pretty decent sized homebrew kit and stored it in our friend's garage, and we made a beer a month, and packaged it, and distributed it out to all the members of the of the of the brew up. And so that's kind of where I fell in love with not only the craft of making something and making something that was different and unique and great, but for me personally, more importantly, it was about the community aspect of it, yeah. and like really the friendships that I was able to forge through that process and sharing. Um, those moments of life together with people over a beer was really, really, really fun. So um, I immediately started writing a business plan to, for a brewery, and we were originally starting trying to start one down in San Diego. We were totally copying Pizza Port, and we we're going to do it. <laughs> Pizza Port with burgers you was our it, whole heard business it here first. <laughs> concept, and it was going to be multiple locations just like them. And um, uh, life took me north to uh, the Ventura and Ojai area, and. Um, my business partner and uh, brewmaster for us, Casey Harris, grew up uh, here. He went to UCSB, and so nice. I moved up there, and I was kind of redid the business plan to fit that market, and was just like, hey, man, if I raise the money, will you come up? And and uh, he did, and we did. And, and you did, yeah. yeah. Here we yeah. are. So, yeah. It's funny, as you're talking, I, I have... My husband can attest to this. I have the worst memory in certain ways. I have a great memory in some ways, the worst memory in others. And as you're telling me these things, I've interviewed Jack and Max both for the podcast, and you're telling me these, and it's, I'm like, oh yeah, you told me that. Oh yeah, you told me that. So sorry, I'm making you repeat yourself, but. It's all good. It's all in the context. Okay, so Matt, um, I want each of you to talk a little bit about what makes your beer different from other beers. And the reason I bring that up is partly because Matt and Max, you worked together for, how many years would you say you worked together? At Firestone? Five or six, I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you broke off to do your own thing. What makes your, let's say, like, you know, if Max is peeling off to do his own thing, each of you, what makes your beer special? What is it that's uh, about your beer that makes it what it is? Well, I think I'm, I'm a little bit of the exception here at the table that I'm working for a brewery that, you know, the business plan was written prior to me coming on board. I, I joined Firestone in 2001. Mm -hmm. The company started in 1996. And I came on at a transitional point when the, the, the very small brewery transitioned to a, a larger facility up in Paso Robles. And, you know, the, the partners who started the brewery, uh, Adam Firestone and David Walker, had you know, a solid concept. They were businessmen and other businesses before they started the brewery, so they kind of had a little bit of an idea of distribution through the wine industry, general manufacturing through the wine industry, um, and the sales and, and marketing side of it at a, at a smaller scale. Um, and then I came on coming from a, a, a fairly sizable brewery in Chicago with, you know, I guess some chops in terms of 
recipe formulation and how to scale these things up. Yeah. And that's what I brought to the company. So, but you, know, you I, didn't start it. No, I didn't write the business plan, yeah. and I and I certainly would never have conceived of fermenting beer in oak barrels like these guys did on yeah. their cocktail napkin like business plan that mm -hmm. I then had to make a reality later on in a larger scale. <laughs> and what you're known for now. But but there's a beauty to that as well. Sometimes when you can just focus on, and that's what I think the the Firestone Walker partnership has been a really wonderful gift is that I've always just focused on the beer making part and I've never had to worry about sales and marketing yeah. and, and in a lesser extent some of these other parts of the business. Um, I'm probably drifting off of the original question no, here. No, but that's interesting to me. I hadn't actually thought about that, the fact that you weren't at the table when the whole right. thing launched. So, so the original product was double barrel ale, and this was in the 90s when amber ales were king, IPA hadn't even come up. Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, if you remember in its early years, was a, you know, it's a darker beer. Yeah. It is very hoppy. It's made with Cascade hops, but by today's hop-forward beer standards, it was relatively pedestrian, yeah. although yeah. it was very different and that visual amber color was what sold beers in those days. So DVA was king. That's why you were buying it as a junior in high school. I still, it looked so much. It looked a lot different than your dad's beer. I remember beer. like it was yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and, and, and then as, our, as our company you know, progressed forward, obviously IPA did become the lead dog in our portfolio until 2012, when 805 was born. Yeah, I want to talk about 805. Yeah. So, the juggernaut that is 805 that came out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah, okay, go on. Are we going there? I think we should, yeah. Okay. Well, I, you know, and again, I think what differentiates, you know, the, Firestone Walker started in 96. The beer business was completely different. I mean, the goal was to somehow get a wholesaler to adopt you. Like, if you could get into a, a, a legitimate house and get your beer sold by a distributor, that was where the business started. Mm -hmm. um, there was no just driving kegs door to door or selling cans direct. That, that kind of a business didn't exist. Um, you could do a brew pub concept or you could be a production brewery. Yep. Um, and there was a very hard line between those two. So anyway, then, you know, as styles and trends progressed, we followed those and in, before 2012, we were going to retire on IPA. There was no doubt about yeah. it. Like yep. Union Jack IPA was growing double digits. Yeah. We were building the brewery to accommodate that, which meant larger lotter tons for big malt bills, fermenters that we could dry hop into, um, signing big hop contracts, all these kind of things. And then this little beer, 805, was born. And it was really somewhat of a mistake. But a was, happy, a well, happy I'm sorry mistake. to interrupt. Wasn't it the Honey Blonde? Did not. <laughs> can you dispel, if that's a myth, can you please? Well, it, it is and it is, and it's, it's kind of like saying... Um, Am I making a big mistake right no, now? No, 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 no. Okay. No, no, no. And, and it's, actually, it's actually, like, everybody in our company has a different story on how 805 was born, and I'm, I can tell it from the brewer's perspective. Yes, please, and yeah. Adam and David may tell it from a different one, but we, we certainly were making a beer called Honey Blonde prior to 805 being born, and that beer actually was kind of a goofy beer because the way we would make it is we would, we would make a typical heavily weeded beer, um, we would filter it bright, and then we would add a mad amount of honey to it. Mm -hmm. And it added a lot of sweetness to the finished beer, and I think that's why people loved it so much. But because there was all that fermentable extract honey in the finished beer, it was entirely unstable. Like, that beer could never go into a bottle. It could mm -hmm. only go into a keg. It had to be kept cold, and it had to be drunk very quickly. Mm -hmm. So 
805, I suppose, was somehow inspired by that okay. beer, but in no yeah. way, shape, or form is it made that way. So. Okay, that's a good clarification yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. Actually, the story of 805, and I'll tell it quickly because there's a lot to get through I here. I know there is, yeah. Was that um, at the time, uh, now ABI at the time, Budweiser, was going around the country both acquiring small brewers, and one of the breweries that they acquired was actually the brewery that I worked at prior to working at Ferris and Walker, which was Goose Island Beer Company. Goose Island Beer Company had a beer that was called 312, which is the predominant Chicago area code. Yeah. And so this area code beer was crushing it in the Midwest. So ABI was like, aha. So they went around the country and started trademarking area codes. And the one area code they hadn't trademarked yet no. was the 805. No. And of course, being the predominant brewer in the 805 at the time, we're like, how do we stop them from coming here and making a beer called 805? That's why, all we cared about. Why didn't they pick 805? Because it's too what? I mean, Cowboy there, there's country, what, like, a, what? you know, at the time, I mean, I suppose the population, you know, they were they were they were That's major hysterical. metropolitan areas, so they skipped the 805 anyway. You know, we called a trademark attorney, and they said, well, first to trade always wins. So Adam and Dave were like, we need to design a beer called 805, and we need to get it out there quick. Yeah. I'm like, all right. And we argued about what that beer should be. Long and the short of it is we decided on a beer that would fit. And again, back to, to your point, Jack, was that we really had an opportunity to focus on what would all of the non-craft drinkers, along with our existing Fire, Firestone fans, what fits into our portfolio, what would be easy drinking and goes yes. with a beach culture and all these types of things. And we settled on this beer that's yep. not hop driven. It's not a lager, but it's still got lager drinkability. And at yep. the end of the day, that's how 805 was born. And it really was just a defensive move to keep ABI from creating a beer in our backyard and competing with us. That is such a good story because 805 is absolutely <clears throat> ruling. I mean, what, what percentage of your production is it now? Oh, it's, it's the majority percent. I would say it's between 60 and 70 percent exactly. of our total production. Exactly. I love that so much. All right. So, Max, what makes There Does Not Exist? In terms of taste, the way it's made, what makes that beer different? Um, that's a really tough question. I think that, well, at least I can tell you the way I approached it, and then I guess you can tell me if it tastes any different or not. Okay. But, uh, you know, after working, you know, like I cut my teeth at Firestone, which was the best experience of my life. You know, I learned so much. You know, I think as a young brewer trying to learn the trade, there was no better place. I mean, I think when I started there, and Matt may correct me on this, I think we made 120,000 barrels of beer a year. And then when I left, it was nearly half a million barrels of beer oh a year. Gosh. So it yeah. was this really, really formidable time to, to, to learn the trade. And I feel so lucky to do that. But I think the squeaky wheel in any brewer's mind is it, when you're working in that kind of kind of heavy production environment is, you know, man, maybe I could do it a little. If this was my beer brewery, I'd do that a little differently, you know, things oh, like that. Yes. And eventually that that little squeaky wheel gets louder and louder and louder and louder. And 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 you, 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 you thought you could make beer better than me. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm hearing. Honestly, That's what I'm hearing. No, yeah. not just different, not better. <laughs> Um, and, and that's like, I think that was sort of the antithesis for wanting to, you know, finally it just got so loud. It was, you know, working at a big production facility, it's a big ship to steer. And there's a lot of stuff that needs to be there for quality control. But you, you kind of lose some of the nimble aspects of a small brewery. Yeah. And I, I think that that 
the longer you work in a big facility like that becomes more and more attractive it's like you know why don't we let's throw some shit at the wall can i say that you throw can shit? okay yeah, yeah. throw some shit at the wall like and see I what say, sticks. it's not npr you okay can, perfect yeah. yeah uh so i just really you know i wanted to let the creative freak flag fly so i, I don't quite know what makes our beer different but i do know that uh what I wanted to do selfishly when I started was make whatever the hell I wanted to. Yep. And that's kind of what we've done. And, and I, you know, of course you can't, you can't build a brand without having IPA or anything like that. But I think that what I learned is like every time we've ventured out of maybe our comfort zone, this the Hellas that we're drinking right now is a great example is like, uh, we, and we've done this a handful of times. We've, we brewed, the first batch of Hellas we brewed, I remember distinctively, like kind of post-brew day going, that was the stupidest thing I've ever done. Is that right? Yeah, because you go, how many people know what a Munich Hellas is? That's gonna be the hardest beer to sell, and, and, and make no mistake, I mean, all three of these, these are for-profit businesses, so yeah. it's, it's, it's finding that, that good middle ground of like, you know, we gotta sell this to make money and, and stay open and, and you know fulfill the livelihood of all our employees and that kind of stuff, but also, you know, again, that squeaky wheel. I'm like, I want to drink a Hellas when I come to work. That mm. sounds pretty cool. Mm -hmm. And every time we've done that, we've been pleasantly surprised. So I think the lesson for me has been, you know what? Like, I think that there's a market for some of these more obscure styles. And, and I'm not saying Hellas is obscure. It's probably one of the, the most produced styles of beer in the world. But you don't see a lot of small, you know, small handcrafted breweries doing that kind right. of style. I mean, it's so dominated by, by IPA and hazy yeah. IPA and, and, you know, pale ale back a few years ago. Um, so we've just kind of adopted the, like, you know, let's, let's just do whatever we want and hope that people like it. And we've been pleasantly surprised. I mean, we, we brew a Czech lager. Yes. That was another one where I went, that beer is going to be awesome that no one is ever going to drink it. Uh, and Stormy, and it's, Stormy yes, is, it's Stormy's favorite beer that we make. That. Yeah. 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 And, and it just, it seemed to work every time. So it, it's been a really kind of, again, I don't, I don't know what makes it, our beers different or better beside the fact that we just, we brew seasonally and we brew based on my creativity. And, yeah. and I, I pool the guys a lot. You know, I come in, I think before we made the Czech lager, it was like, you know, hey, I had this idea last night. We should make a Czech lager. What's everybody think? And they all go, <laughs> sounds good. And I go, okay, we're brewing a Czech lager. You know, and I, I, I it sounds like a foolish business person saying this stuff, oh, but like we good. just kind of do whatever we want. Yes, I love it. No, you know, and, I, and and that's what that was what the whole plan was. I, I I I'm not a business guy. I'm a brewer. You know, I I I'm used to dragging a hose and dumping hops in the kettle. So so I I had a very again clear vision of the beers we wanted to make, and we'd figure out all the economics of it after the fact. Yeah. Yeah. Which maybe is not advisable, um, <laughs> and yet it's worked out really well for you. I, I That's guess. awesome. Yeah. All right, Jack, what makes Topa Topa different? I mean, in my mind, I know what makes it different, but what would you say? Well, I think it, there's, I mean, there's so much good beer out there right now, um, which is we're all blessed as beer drinkers and to be in this community to have so much good beer. Um, so I think what we try and do as we kind of straddle the fence of like being a, a production brewery who distributes via wholesale, you can buy us in grocery stores versus like our taproom network. Um, I think there's, it's almost like there's two topas for us. Like we, we play around a little bit in our- Sorry to interrupt. How yeah. many taprooms do you have now? Uh, we have five. Okay. 
Um, so we play around a little bit with just experimental fun stuff. We let our brew crew kind of make whatever they want yeah. for our tap rooms. Um, but <laughs> our, from a production and wholesale standpoint, uh, I think I like to think what sets us apart a little bit uh, is consistency. Uh, yeah. We really pride ourselves and our, our brew crew in particular, they just they get way more pumped about repeating a recipe and having it come out the same way or tweaking it and like having our tasting panel not be able to tell that they yeah. tweaked it. Like they, they really geek out on that kind of stuff. And um, so I think consistency has been something that we've um, been pretty good at since yeah. we started uh, in our seven short years. So um, yeah, th I think that would, that would be, we don't really, we don't really make anything different or we make traditional styles for the most part, hmm. um, all with a kind of a California yes. twist to them. But yep. um, that I think consistency is, is, is what I hope sets us apart from some of the others that have, that have started up since we started. You yeah. say that it's not different, but anyone who's had a Chief Peak knows otherwise. That's a great beer. Oh, I was going to say that, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of beer savvy folks in the in the audience, but breweries to me are so much like a bakery and, you know, our, our cultured yeast, even if the same genetic material is being used, really grows to its environment. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's what's so beautiful about breweries. It's each one of these small breweries has their own house character. Yeah. And our fan base falls in love with that. And that's, you know, they become their own, like, kind of unique organisms in that way. Um, so I would say that your beers have a really consistent and unique character. Yes. Max's beers have a character all of their own. Um, and, and same with ours. And in fact, when we design new beers, oftentimes we're trying to figure out how to get out of our house character sometimes. After tasting some of these other wonderful beers, we're like, the only way I can make that beer is to get away from my culture or from, you know, what we're doing. So I think that's what's so cool about the, the beer industry. Yeah. You know, wine industry has terroir. I would argue that for sure beer industry does too. It may not have the same metrics exactly, but there's for sure terroir for beer. Yeah. 100%. Um, I'm going to take this moment just because I completely spaced some things that I wanted to say earlier. Um, so if you need a drink, don't be ashamed to get up. Ashamed. Don't be afraid. I don't know. <laughs> Why would shame come into it? I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. Get up. Get a drink. Please support Bear City Social, Sean Behrens, who was the chef at Luna Red for 10-something years. He's got his own truck. Please support him. Um, if you're funny and weird and you want a consumed enamel pin, please take one of those. Um, and if you listen to the podcast, this is so weird and surreal for me, but the podcast actually drops another season of 10 episodes tonight at midnight. So I have a few things in my mind right now. Um, but there's some amazing, there's, there are people who knew Julia Child. Um, they're the biggest little farm. If you saw that, that documentary, I got to interview her. Um, lots of really cool people, slow provisions here in town. So if you would please listen to the podcast, and if you feel really bold, this is me asking for you to like me, um, which is awkward, but will you please rate, review the podcast? It lets other people know about it. It's a small, local project, 
Um, I never expected for it to have millions of listeners because I, I focused very much on where we live, but to reach more of those local listeners, I need you, so please do that. Um, okay, so now, I mean, I know you guys go to, you talk a lot on panels about the mechanics and the, you know, the recipes and the methods and all of that, but really, I. I love beer, but I care mostly about you three because <laughs> I love people. I want to hear about your hardest day at the brewery. Tell me your hardest day. Do you want to actually, let's start with Jack. Let's go this way. This is the hardest question that you uh, sent us. Um, so mine split probably, I mean, there's a lot of hard days in what we all do and get to do and have the privilege of doing. But um, I would split mine right down the middle considering recent history. Um, Anytime we've had to let someone go um, for like a, just a really bad mistake or something or something that was just non-negotiable, those are always really crappy days. Um, but considering what we've all just went through with the pandemic and everything, I mean, the day that the whole world shut down, that was one of the worst days of my life. Not only just, um, I literally was just like, okay, this is how it ends. I'm going to lose everything, you know? And uh, so that, that day was, was really, really, really challenging and um, trying to navigate that and figure out how to get through it was, was, was a big one. But uh, otherwise, yeah, the few times we've had to let, let someone go at the, at the brewery, um, we had one instance that sticks out to me where, you know, it was, I think it was a delivery driver and we had to... And we had to, um, unfortunately, there was a situation where he was taking money. No, um, no. It, like, we were delivering, we were, this is when we were self-distributed and delivering to a place, they wanted to pay him in cash. We, policy was, we don't do that, you have to send us a check. And for whatever reason, he made the wrong choice. And, um, and I'd still look back on that day and think, like, if I had given that guy a second chance, he might be like one of our best employees ever because it was just a really bad decision. But sometimes you have to make those hard decisions, and it's just like this is a non-negotiable thing. We have to, we have to part ways. So that that was that was some of one of my one of my worst days, just having to having to let someone go who you care about and yeah. they're part of the family. But it's just like I'm sorry, my hands are kind of tied. I have to do this. So totally, and it speaks to the point actually of me talking about you as people. I really thought you were going to say my worst day was when, like, I don't know, we mixed up the recipe or the hose went off and was flailing or something. No, it's about people. Those are the hardest and the best things, right? Yeah, it's, all, it's always about the people, yep. for sure. All right, Max, hardest day. Uh, hard to pinpoint <laughs> the exact day, but the one that, that sticks out, and I'll, it's the same theme as, as Jack, is, like, um, I remember we were, it was a Sunday when the kind of stay at home order got issued. Yeah. I'm a big planner. So I like to say like, you know, we were a brand new business. We'd been open barely four months and I had planned for every scenario. If this happens, we'll just do this. If this yeah. happens, we'll do that. And global pandemic missed my list. It's not there. So I remember the guys <laughs> calling me and saying, hey, uh, people are saying we have to close up right now. And I said, fuck that. Stay open as long as the la till the last person leaves. Because yep. this might be the last time that anyone gets to get, have a beer in person for a little while. And I remember thinking, like, you know, I, I just was like, got, I kind of got off that phone call and, 
and I wasn't even working. I was at home having a barbecue or something, but it was so devastating. Again, back to the people thinking like, if we have to close and we literally cannot be open, I'm going to, you know, screw up the economics for how many families of people that work here because they might not be able to continue employment. We just might not be able to afford it. And, and that was like, it was terrible. Uh, Just like, it was so devastating to be, and I felt like we had sort of, you know, people that know our brand know that it took us quite a while to get the doors open and three and a half, four months later to have to shut them down again was just devastating. Totally. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's plenty of other days. I, when you said, "What's the hardest day?" I was like, "Was that yesterday or the day? Bo- <laughs> was that the day before yesterday? I don't know." You know, I mean, of course, you know, it's it's long hours. It's all the things that go along with owning your own business. But yeah, Jack said it. I mean, when it, anything that comes down to the personnel and the people is is the hardest for sure. For sure, yeah. All right, Matt. Same question. Same yeah, question. The same theme. Yeah. Um, I had to think back a little bit. I don't know. I don't think I've ever told this story publicly, but uh, I think locally the story is known that uh, I came from Chicago and I took a job as brewmaster for Slow Brewing Company, not Firestone Walker originally. I didn't originally. think you were going to tell. Okay, yeah, go. This is good. This well, is good. I mean, it's going to answer the question yep, truthfully. Yep. And so anyway, I, I came out. I worked one um, intense year for Slow Brewing Company, and first things first, it was to you know, get the troops aligned and get the Paso Robles brand, you know, relatively new production facility running top shape. And then I went down to Garden Street and worked on improving beers. Um, And at that time, it was the same brewmaster who is the brewmaster of Slow Brew today, uh, Courier, Steve Courier. And so I got to work with Steve Courier in the early days. This is in 2000. And um, and, and it was one of the most rewarding years because by the end of that year, we entered beers at GABF, Great American Beer Festival, the biggest beer competition in the country and at the time in the world, and we won Brewery of the Year. Yes. So that doesn't sound like the worst day, no, it does doesn't. it? Roll the clocks forward a couple more months, and we were forced to close the production facility. So the worst day of my brewing career was when, after having won those accolades, doubled the production of the brewery and thought we were really cruising that the boss walked into my office and said we got to shut the brewery down yeah. and let everyone go and after you moved from the midwest I was like, moved out dude here. i moved from chicago yep. to do this for you so anyway yeah that was a tough day yes it but it's, sounds like you know another you know it's the, the the human side that's always the trickiest yep um Okay, so Jack, uh, when we met up, I can't remember exact. It was pre-pandemic, I think. No, no, it was in the middle. It was of, just post, yeah, it really was, in the middle, yeah. Yeah, which kudos to anybody who was like, no, we can still meet. Let's sit outside and, you know. Um, but you told me at one point, and I hope I'm not putting you on the spot here, but you said at the end of our interview, I think once the tape had stopped rolling, you said often we will look at each other and say, what would Firestone do? WWFD. Um, and I think that that is the, I love that so much because it, there's a camaraderie in the brewing industry that doesn't exist in every industry. It's so collaborative. It's so supportive. Um, so I want to ask you, what would make you say that? What was it about Firestone? I'm, this is like fanboy time. Um, what is it about the way Firestone does things that you would say that about? Besides David Walker's hair. I know um, it's gorgeous and his accent. I know. uh, no, I, I think 
us as younger breweries uh, in our industry are extremely lucky, and um, we've, we're extremely lucky in the in the sense that um, the the folks, the Firestones, the Allagashes, the Stones, uh, uh, the people who paved the way, uh, Anchor Brewing Company, like just our job is so much easier than what they had to go through in the early days of trying to get people to just try this new thing. Whereas when, when, when I started Topa, people wanted what we were making from day one. It was, it was, it was a, a different environment. So uh, when I look at someone like Firestone, and that, that statement does, it does happen around the brewery all the time. Yes. Um, so <laughs> it's one of the things that we admire so much about something uh, a company like Firestone Walker is that they service every level of beer drinker and you know they're 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 helping us by converting Bud Light and Coors Light drinkers and Miller Light drinkers to 805 right. they're introducing them to craft um, they're also satisfying you know the most beer geeky of beer geeky people with their um, with, with their barrel aged uh, barrel works programs so uh, it's just an impressive thing from top to bottom and uh, we were fortunate enough to do a collaboration uh, beer with with uh, Firestone and Yay. we learned a lot about making the beer uh, but we probably learned way more about marketing it and selling it into the market so you know to have to have folks in our industry who are so open and um, willing to to help uh, you know I think I, I met Matt early on. I, I met David, and I remember meeting David Walker. It was like meeting a celebrity, and you're just like, <laughs> and he's like, gives me his email. He's like, yeah, do you have any questions? Just email me. And I'm like, there's no way this guy's gonna email me back <laughs> if I email him a question. Yeah. And I do. I emailed him like probably the next week, and right away. And yeah. it's just like that's that's how our industry works. I think it's it's how we're built, and um, to be a part of that is is really 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 fun. And again, to be like driving on these roads that used to be rutted and crazy and and everything and now they're just smooth and paved because of the the folks like firestone and 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 then the folks who came before us so we're, we're really lucky and yeah. so we uh we try and take advantage of that and and uh and ask questions when when we need to so, yeah, yeah right on okay so matt you um did you go straight from the airport here today no i went back up to the brewery Oh my gosh. Okay. So yesterday I get this email from Matt. I was checking in with these guys and I was like, okay, so I'll see you, you know, sometime maybe before six for tomorrow. And these two over here were like, great, see you then. And Jack's coming up from Ojai and this is Max's place and it's so wonderful. Um, but then Matt writes in and he's like, hello from steamy Kansas City. Um, and I freaked out, I'll tell you. I, I was like, Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be there, right? But I didn't. I was like, great, see you then. But it just goes to show your life is, um, some people might describe it as frenetic. There's just a lot of energy. I know, he's looking right at Allie. Yep, yep. So um, I guess, actually, this question is for all three of you, but Matt specifically, there's so much uh, movement across the pond, really, because... Duval, you have a lot to do with them, and so you're in Belgium. I, what percentage of the year are you overseas? Do you know? Um, in a normal year, it's just a month or two. Oh, it is? Oh, okay. Yeah. For some reason, I thought it was like 50%. Okay. But uh, how do you balance your work and your life? Uh, this, is, this is a trick question, by the way. <laughs> this is a trick question. <laughs> um, 
Well, to start, I, I think what's what's really cool about this industry, and it's probably true in a lot of the culinary arts and the wine industry, is that you know the roots of our business, a lot of what we've tapped into, began in Europe. You know, a lot of the brewing traditions, a lot of the equipment that we buy for our breweries. All three of us have brew houses that were that were. Uh, Sorry, there we go. Engineered and built in Germany. So we have a lot of excuses to go yeah, overseas to look at supplies. Um, uh, we buy a lot of German hops. So there's a lot of excuses to travel. And, and you mentioned it earlier that brewers are very open. You know, it's very open source, a lot of networking, a lot of shared information. So there's a lot of value in traveling to these, you know, it's like an old brewery in the United States, Sierra Nevada is like celebrating 40 years of brewing. And then I go across to Belgium and Duvel's, you know, just celebrated 150 years of brewing. And that's a young brewery by European standards. So there's a lot of knowledge to tap into. So... It travels part of the business. Yeah. Um, now balancing that—that's yeah, that's tricky. So what I tend to do is just try to take the family with me. Yes, which I love, which I love. And Allie actually said before this, before we started taping, that she loves it there, and it's hard to leave. Yeah. Which you all set me up and and Jake up with a trip to Belgium over the summer, and now I get it. It's hard to leave. It's really hard to leave. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, in terms of the balance, I mean, yeah, it's difficult. Um, uh, I think I love to travel. My family loves to travel. That's part of it. Um, there's a lot to be learned out there. And I always say when you're a brewer, every city you roll into, there's a brewer with open doors, a place yeah. to stay, a free beer and a meal in every town we go to. So. That's awesome. I love it. Max, how do you, I mean, you have a new little one. How old is Forrest now? Uh, my son Forrest is four months old. We call he's, that the trenches, my friend. He's here somewhere, shitting himself. <laughs> I love you. That is awesome. All right, well, you know, it's always good to talk through those kinds of things, those, those four-month moments. What's it been like for you to balance having a, you know, kind of a baby brewery? You know, in terms of, you, you've been open since 2019? Yeah, t- tomorrow will be open for three years. Tomorrow! Yeah, yeah. Hey! Jack, Topa Topa is seven? Yeah, we just turned seven. Okay, and then Firestone Walker is? 26. Old enough to drink. Um, okay, so you have a baby brewery, and you have a four-month-old. What's that been like? Um, you know, it, difficult for all the reasons you can imagine. Um, I think if there's one thing I've learned about the work-life balance is that it doesn't exist. It's, it's a myth that people chase, and it's, it's just the reality of small business, not just breweries by any means. I mean, you know, I, my friend Mike just opened a pizza shop, but he's working seven days a my week. My friend Mike. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to my friend yeah, Mike. Yeah, it's, it's a best pizza in town. I highly recommend it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he's, I, I you know, I think a week ago I worked a 19-hour day here, and it's just the reality of it. And I think that it's easy, it's easy, especially if you're if you're in the driver's seat like I am. It's easy to be a masochist and just work the hours, and I don't even think twice about it, honestly. I mean, a 12-hour day seems like a short day, mm-hmm. um, but you know, you start to talk to my wife, and she feels a little differently about that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, 
So, so I, I don't know. I guess what I'm what I'm learning is that it's like you just you got to you know take it as it comes and roll with the punches and and eventually I think there is some mirage of this balance out there, but it certainly isn't true at a three-year-old brewery. I mean, there's just so much yeah. to do. I think like really the antithesis of that problem is that you know we're growing fairly rapidly. And there's a lot, you know, it'd be easy to hire a ton of people. We just don't have the money. Yeah. So I think until you get to some, some point where you can actually staff up to fill these positions, you know, it's like, I, I always say to my guys, like, sucks to be the boss. I mean, yeah. uh, some of you have probably seen me in here snake in the bathroom on a Saturday. <laughs> like, that's the reality of, that I live in at the moment. But, you know, it's all like... <laughs> I have no one to blame but myself, and I, I asked to be here, so uh, I, brewing and, and working 19 hours gets me out of bed every day, and that's I jump awesome. out of bed to be here, yeah, so I just feel really lucky. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Jack, you have responsibilities for sure, too, and seven years in, you've probably learned a few things about work-life balance. What, do you, what is that for you? Yeah, I think for, for us at Topo, we had a really rapid growth yeah. trajectory. We opened five locations in five years um which was constant work and just yeah Uh, but i think you you turn a corner and i think i feel like i'm getting there where it's like maybe uh i i work six days a week i do take one day off every week pretty much non-negotiable um at times i've had to go in on those days but uh i i for me it's just especially i had a fairly successful previous career, but it doesn't feel like work. And yeah. that's the biggest difference for me is that I really, 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 truly love what I do. And um, I'm blessed to have the opportunity to do it. So um, it, it's easy to just work all the time when you really love what you do. And so you have to guard against that a little bit and make sure you mm-hmm. take time. But we, we try and I try and impose it more on my employees to make sure that they're taking time off. Yeah. Um, Cause I'm fine. I'm like, I'm good. I, I, I like what I do. And yeah. so, but I want, I know they like what they do too, but I want them to take time off. So work-life balance is something we've built into Topo with some of our policies as we've grown as a company, you know, things like lots of PTO, like making sure people take it um, and don't just like let it sit there and not, not get utilized. So um, yeah, we're, we're, again, we're really lucky. I mean, I'm getting to the point now where I will fill in, whether it's a brew shift or cleaning keg shift or a shift on the canning line, or a lot of times a shift in our tap rooms. That's, I do that a lot where I just drop in my bartend for a day and it's a great experience for me to like connect directly to our customers. And, um, so, but I love all of that stuff. So it doesn't really feel like work. Uh, in, in that sense. So, yeah, work-life balance is important, but when we're, you know, I basically feel like I get paid to drink beer and talk to people, so that's pretty pretty fun, and I, I'm, I'm pretty good at that. So, uh, yeah, it's, but you do have to, you do have to watch it, because you can, you could just work all the time, and, uh, yeah. and, and that, that can be a problem, so. Yeah. Get paid to drink beer and talk to people, saying I have that, that very difficult lifestyle as well. <laughs> Um, yeah, I love my job so much, so much. I could touch on one more. Yeah, yeah, go for it. I was just going to say that, like, brewers brewers are wired differently. Like, you know, I, you know, a long, hard day of brewing, like, there was, I jumped out of bed 
to do it, jumped out of bed every day to do it for Matt. I jump out of bed every day to do it for myself and I would do it for Jack too. It's like, yeah. it's just part of the gig. You're wired to like love what you do. And I, uh, I thought you were gonna get into it earlier, Matt, about when um, the transition between slow brew, this is one of the funniest brewing stories I've ever heard in my yes. life. The transition between when it was slow brew to Firestone and, the, and I think it was Adam and David showed up and they were like, who are these people still brewing beer? This place is owned by the bank or something like that. Oh my gosh. Uh, but it just, it just speaks to, <laughs> once, once you go down this rabbit hole, there is no turning back. And it's like, it's, it's, a, it's an obsessive career for all the right reasons. Yeah. All right, I'll tell the story. <laughs> a lot of our tour guides tell this story and I'm like, I don't think I said that was okay, but. Oh, and now yeah, we're to, asking you to, to put it on tape. Yeah, to, yes. to, yeah, to the point was that, uh, to finish my story, Please. boss came in, said we got to shut the brewery down. I'm like, why? We just won brewery the year and made twice as much beer than you've ever made. And he's like, bank, bank called the note, got to shut it down. Okay, fine. I marched down to the bank. I'm like, what's going on? They're like, the more beer you make, the more money you lose. You got to shut it down. Okay, fine. They never, real, they never took the key away from me. <laughs> And there was still malt in the silo. There was still electricity and gas to the boilers. So we went in and kept brewing beer. No paycheck, but we just, there was beer in the tanks. So I went in, I did the quality control, and then we had a couple of accounts that would still buy kegs. So we were still shipping beer. And for two, two months or so, we continued to make beer and tend to the beer until the silo ran dry and there were no more kegs to fill. But there was still beer in the tank. So when Adam and David bought the brewery, there was about 600 barrels of perfectly lagered beer, that, and we sold every drop of it. Oh my gosh. And, <laughs> that makes so yeah, that's, that's the obsessive brewer that's not gonna let their beer die. Yes, but there's something beautiful about that too. I mean, we talk a lot about monastic brewing, and that's, you know, you don't let the beer die, right? I don't know. There's something beautiful about that. <laughs> Maybe I've had too many beers to say that. It really is like a, a thing. Like our, our brew crew, they, they set themselves up. They set their partners up for success at the end of every day. I, I usually leave after production is done at Topa, and I'll walk, through, I'll walk the brew floor, and there's always bags of grain set out. There's yeah. you know hoses hooked up for research or whatever we're doing the next day, and it's just like... It's just built into like the DNA of like helping helping your your partner out. Like the, you know that person who set that stuff up is just helping the guy or the gal who's starting at 4 a.m. the next yeah. day, and it's it's just it's just built in. It's really rad. It's a that, fun fun thing to be a part of. That is so awesome. Um, I'm looking at each of you. You're each wearing your own company's hat. In the music world, that would never be okay. You would never wear your own band's hat or merch, and yet you do, and it's okay in brewing, um, and I think probably in wine too, but that makes me think about wine. Um, this might be an extraneous question, but each of you is based in a place, like we can see vines from here, Max, right? From your, from your tasting room or from the um, tap room. So Paso, San Ynez, Slow, and Ojai, uh, these are each they're each in their own way wine country um how have you balanced that i mean maybe can you talk a little bit about setting up a brewery in wine country and of course i'm thinking specifically about firestone walker because the firestone brand existed before firestone walker firestone wine did um 
can you talk, what did I say when I sent you this question? Uh, yeah, what are the similarities and differences between the two industries? How do they help and or hinder one another? I mean, it's a, it's a big part of the Firestone Walker story is that the original brewery was in an in a unused building on the Firestone Vineyard property. Um, Adam and David had a lot of wine experience, very little beer making experience, and their, again, cocktail napkin business plan was to make barrel fermented ales using the used Chardonnay barrels. That's not exactly the way it worked out, but um, there's always been an, an, a heavy influence of winemaking in our beer making program. Um, and if you roll the clocks forward, then when we started doing barrel-aged beers, which I was a little reluctant, reluctant to do because we were so focused on barrel-fermented ales, we actually asked winemakers to come to the brewery and help us with blending and to teach us the ropes of, of how to, to infuse some of that DNA into our beers. So we've always had a close relationship with winemakers, both through the family but also through the community. Max, do you have anything to say about that? Either of you? I mean, maybe you don't have any um, I, I do. intersection. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, I think that uh, there's three things that come to mind immediately for me are that, um, you know, I think what wine did, at least for the Central Coast region, is it, it really opened people's minds to handcrafted local products, yeah. you know, and it, I feel like if there wasn't all these local vineyards here to sort of pave the way of this direct-to-consumer, you come in and you taste and you buy a bottle of wine to go, then doing what we do would be a lot more difficult yeah. because, you know, lo locally small batch hand, locally made small batch handcrafted stuff is expensive. And, yeah. and it takes, someone's got to kind of break that, you know, break that wall down. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think if you ask anybody, probably Matt, you know, if you think people are buying $18 four packs of beer, in 1995, like no fucking way. Right, right. You know, so what the the winemakers really paved that way for us. Hmm. And the other thing I'll say is that uh, for me personally is that um, uh, kind of circling back to how I really wanted to get into the business was that um, Russell Frome from Herman Story Wines yes. is a really close friend of mine. And when I was homebrewing really religiously and like I, obsessively about it, I think what really kind of like the lifestyle that he lived making a product by by hand manual labor every day and then selling it to people and seeing the customer that resonated with me like crazy you know yeah. and i said that's what i want to do but I, I i like wine i just not not passionate about it so yeah. the next thing i said like well beer's beer's cool I, I could probably do that you know i could do the same kind of lifestyle with beer and that's sort of how i you know one of the the, the stepping stones to get to where I am, I guess. Yeah, that's a good point, actually, that it paved the way, for sure. Yeah, yeah Jack, any thoughts? Yeah, I think, uh, especially as a, like, taproom-based brewery, um, you know, our license type uh, piggybacks off of the winery's ability to have multiple taprooms, too, so there's some inherent tying together of our, of our industries, but um, I really love, like, challenging wine drinkers to, to experience beer. Yes. Because... You know, there's there's a you know a couple different types of yeast that that wine growers use. There's a couple different types of grapes, but we've we've thousands of types of hops. Right. We have hundreds of types of grain, and we have a bunch of types of yeast. So there's so many infinite possibilities with beer. So it's been fun to see people react 
well in wine country to um, the different flavor profiles. And when we start getting into like beer pairings and food pairings and beer dinners, that's a really exciting um, piece of the puzzle for, yeah. for us. Um, for us personally at Topa, we do two beer wine hybrids a year with uh, our friends at Carhartt Vineyard, um, oh, yeah. where we're able to actually like go up and and you know take some great must from some of their uh, vintages and stuff, and we blend all that stuff into a beer, and it's a sour beer, and it's it's really it's become a really fun tradition. Hmm. We do one around harvest, and another one we release usually in February, and it's just a really fun process to go through. Um, to kind of merge the two worlds in, in yeah. a way and uh you know at the end of the day they're all great adult beverages that we get to enjoy i know i enjoy drinking wine i yeah. love white wine i'm like total kind of white wine freak and yeah. uh and <laughs> when me and when me and my brewmaster casey go out to dinner oftentimes you'll find us getting a bottle of like sauvignon blanc and that's sauvignon we, blanc. we're sitting there two brewers hanging out drinking Sauve Blanc and it's like kind of hilarious. So. Sauve Blanc actually as you're talking about white wine I think if I could have anything that's what it would be. Yeah. A nice crispy yeah. one. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's been fun to, to kind of bring beer into into the region. Ojai specifically where I live you know has a handful of good wineries and everyone's been super receptive to to beer breaking in. Yep, so. right. Um, Sean Barons is in the house, and he's such a wonderful chef. Let's give it up for Bear City Social. <laughs> Are you blushing? Yeah. Totally. Well, it's good. Okay, so so last question. Thank you all for sitting through, hearing all these wonderful answers. I hope that this has... I don't know. I hope it's opened up your eyes to what a brewer's life is like. I'm watching, I'm watching Max's wife Paige bounce the baby, and I'm thinking, this is life. This is this is how it is. Um, my last my last question is, what if you were on your deathbed and you were like, Paige, get me the, what would it be? Fill in the blank. What is it? What, Julia? <laughs> All right, tell me your deathbed beer. And since we're on you, Max, you may as well. What are we handing to you? Um, I was like losing sleep over this answer. <laughs> oh, God. No, be don't do that. Be because I think people want it to be some like... Obscure, or oh, Yeah, it's like some obscure thing that, you know, is hard to get or, or, or um, you know some crazy obscure beer I, I, and it's really not I mean I think for me it, and the beer that I really when I was going to brewing school in Germany the beer that blew my mind the most and this is maybe sad to say was uh, Augustiner Helles mm. is amazing it's it's like it's everything it's beer for me it's it's perfection so mm. As sorry as that sounds, and I'll shout out to the man in the crowd, Crispy Boys, I'd probably just crush an Augustiner Hellas and then peace out. Nice. That's a good way to die. All right, I'm going to give Jack a turn because Mateo's telling. It's, t it's a tough one for me. I, I've been really into Hellas's lately. We just made one, so and I really like this one. Nice. Um, so the recency of it, I'm like, maybe just that beer. Um, <laughs> But I think if I had to get sentimental about it, um, which probably if I was on my deathbed, I would be mm -hmm. fairly sentimental. Um, I think mm -hmm. I love our Chief Peak IPA. Yes. I, 
I am really proud of that beer. Um, it's helped grow and expand our company. Uh, it's helped put food on the table and rent checks in the mail for a lot of people. And that's something that I'm really, really, really proud of. So um, it's also just really fresh and really drinkable. I still have one pretty much every day and I'm not mad at it yet. <laughs> so um, yeah, I, I, think, I think if I was on my deathbed, that would probably be one that I'd ask for. Totally, totally. All right, Matt. I have to pick just one? That's impossible. Well, I looked out at Allison, and it it changes over time, like my favorite beer. And it it has everything to do. But um, it actually is similar to Max's, only it's a different brewer. So it would be a Bavarian brewed Hellas. Uh, the beer that I would, would, yeah, he knows what I'm going to say. We have a good friend named Eric Toff, who's the brewmaster at a brewery called Schonromer, which is named after the village close to uh, Salzburg or the Austrian border. Open fermented Hellas, aged to perfection, uh, simple beer. Uh, and I'd get a big one. It wouldn't be a small beer. It'd it, it, be a liter. If it's going to be the last one, it's going to be the... I didn't expect you to talk about quantity. It's going to be volume. a moss. It's a big <laughs> glass of Hellas. <laughs> I love it. Can I hey. change my answer? Yes, good, well... I want a bit same beer. Yeah, let's all drink... One. Make it a big one, too. I'm going to have all of yours. Yeah. Max and I will probably be hanging out in that moment yeah. anyway. Yeah. We'd be like, like giving fist bumps, be- deathbed to deathbed. Yeah, nice. <laughs> hey, everybody in this room, can we thank these three awesome people? Thank you so much for supporting craft beer in, uh, on the Central Coast, which each of these guys represents. Um, please drink more, but be safe. Um, get, give your keys to somebody or call an Uber and I'll help you do that if you need me to. Otherwise, enjoy being here together and um, you can expect to hear this sometime between now and December 1st. It'll be out in the, on the interwebs and please listen to Consumed if that interests you at all um, and maybe start tomorrow like at 12.01 a.m. <laughs> Thanks everybody for coming. Oh wait, real quick. Matt Cross came to help me with sound, and that's a big deal. All right, thanks, everybody. That's it for the Consumed Live episode. I hope you'll be able to come to more of these events in the future when I place eaters, drinkers, thinkers, and makers at the table together before a live audience. To learn more, sign up for the Consumed newsletter at letsgetconsumed.com. I'm Jamie Lewis, and I'll see you next time. Consumed.